0: our glasses will be our uh, new uh, companion also in the private life, uh, continue to support us uh, the way we do with smartphones today. But in order to enable that and in order to enable those applications and the latency that's needed for that, you need to be able to move your applications across the different edge instantiations. And that will, will require that you're also able to move them between operators. Uh, we are not there today, but I think it's a critical uh, actually call to action to the
1: Hi, and welcome to another Conversations with Dez. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Now, this is another in our Transmissions from Tomorrow series. These uh, episodes are themed around conversations with world leaders and thought leaders from the best and brightest in the telecommunications industry. And uh, today, I'm joined in the studio by Anders Rosengren, who's the Head of Architecture and Technology at Ericsson Digital Services. Anders, thanks for uh, making time to catch up with us. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Des. It's uh, always a pleasure to uh, talk to you.
1: Thank you. And uh, we caught up recently at uh, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And I was just saying to you before we hit record, we've had some great feedback on the conversation we had uh, on camera. And I've been looking forward to getting you uh, on the podcast for some time. Now, I'd love to dive into a number of key points around what you're doing currently, particularly your role as head of architecture and technology at Ericsson Digital Services. And specifically, I know you've been to uh, the Open Network Summit uh, in the US recently. I'd love to get some highlights from that from you. Then maybe just talk about what's happening at Open Source and uh, uh, the uh, open networking automation platform and some of the work you're doing in that space. And then particularly what's happening around the cloud native space uh, and, and what it actually means uh, to be cloud native and, and the challenges facing that and where we're going with the whole transi- uh, mission to a transition to 5G and the launch and rollout of 5G and some of the challenges facing that. But before we kick off into that, I wonder, would you mind just taking a minute or two and just giving us a little insight to yourself, maybe a bit of background as to where you're originally from and where you grew up uh, Any funny anecdotes or insights around your academic and career path that brought you to this uh, amazing role of head of architecture and technology?
0: Thank you, Des. Yes, of course. So um, uh, I'd love to. uh, So I was born and raised in Lund, uh, a small university town in in the south of Sweden, where I also actually lived in the 25 first years of my life. I got my master of science uh, in electronic engineering at that university. And... uh, University is, is quite old. The town is like uh, a thousand years old or uh, more than that, but the university uh, is uh, beyond 350 years old. So it's, uh, it's got a lot of history. Uh, a lot of uh, bright people has uh, grown up and uh, got their uh, education in that uh, institution. Um, uh, Ericsson uh, is not that old. I mean, it's of course uh, uh, not that old, but it's quite impressive. So now pushing 140 plus years in the business and we're still going strong and I think it uh, it's really shows that we, how we can continue to evolve with the industry and continue to grow technology also in an old company. I really, I really appreci- appreciate the, the combination of history and new technology.
1: Indeed, so, it is I, an exciting company and it's amazing that people don't know. I think it's about 143 years uh, it's been a business now, isn't it? I think from, what is it, 1876 yes. from memory?
0: Yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. Phenomenal. So uh, yeah, it is. I, I think that you can continue to evolve over that uh, lifetime of a, of a company. That's that's uh, very impressive. And something to also remember as, uh, as a human, I believe that you, you really need to think about continue to evolve. Uh, if you can, if you get to live 104, you should still be able to do your cloud native uh, stuff uh, at that age i think uh, if you can uh, push that i think then you're really evolving as a, kid, as, a pe- as a person as well I but anyway so. I, I grew up in uh, <laughs> i grew up in telco industry i, I started in um, asic so uh, uh, semiconductor circuit development for uh, uh, atm uh, asynchronous transfer mode and sth uh, with uh, so synchronous uh, distribution uh, and uh, those days I worked in uh, R&D, both hardware and software. Uh, and now in the, uh, over the last uh, like 10 years, I've moved into uh, more of architecture, about technology, evolution and strategy. So I started out as, uh, as an uh, uh, trainee in a joint venture between Ericsson and Telia. So that's uh, the Swedish national operator at that time, there was the only operator. And I went directly into the engineering paradise, I got to work with the, all the latest technology, I came fresh out of school, and get right into uh, uh, the uh, innovation company uh, uh, joint venture between Ericsson and Telia at that time. And uh, uh, looking back now, it's of course a good story how fast the industry moves. Uh, uh, Today, it sounds totally unreasonable that you can design anything worthwhile based on uh, 0.9 micrometer silicon geometry. I mean, today you're like uh, uh, 30, 40 uh, times smaller. But at that time, it was truly the bleeding edge. So um, it also, of course, tells something uh, for the well-informed about when I started in the business. But I, I will leave that exercise for uh, for the interested listener.
1: Yeah, we could do a whole uh, show on another conversation, which we might do another day. Um, <laughs> that's so There must have been an interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, one of the things about the the whole generation coming from the technology space was that, um, you know, as it is now with the transition to software-defined everything and cloud everything. That would have been a fairly significant shift from physically wired infrastructure to circuits making uh, uh, calls work. It's it's almost like uh, another big wave that you were experiencing even back that early.
0: That's true. And yeah, Uh, I mean, uh, uh, cloud wasn't invented at that time when I started off. So we were very much, but we did go through another very big uh, shift at that time. Uh, So there's been. If you look back, of course, over the years, there's been a number of uh, transformations and, and uh, evolutions. So, at that time, we, our main product was the AXC switch, uh, which we used both for, for fixed and mobile uh, uh, switching. And that was uh, purely built when I started; it was uh, built on our own hardware. Uh, we did our own ASICs, uh, we did our own operating system, we did our own. We had our own language. Uh, uh, we did everything, the full, the very, very full stack. And uh, the first transformation that that uh, went through, which was uh, uh, very interesting as well, and it talks about was, of course, that we uh, uh, stopped doing our own hardware. We stopped doing our own ASICs, our own processors uh, for the for the mobile switching. We did go to x86, and we did go to Linux uh, as the operatings, or uh, started with Solaris, but then over time Linux as well um and uh, uh so that was a big transformation at that time but it was also the necessary thing we weren't able to keep up with the technology evolution so i think that cycle has repeated on different levels uh, of the stack and in different variations over time but it's basically the same thing that uh, some technology gets commoditized or some part of the telco space is Common across a larger industry, uh, and therefore, the, uh, it's not possible to keep up and, and be a uh, technology leader anymore. And then uh, Ericsson should not do that. So, that is a cycle that we've seen over and over again.
1: I do remember the, uh, I mean, I, 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 uh, it'll age me a little bit, but, uh, and I've certainly done some homework, but I do remember looking in the early days of the uh, AXC uh, phone exchange, and uh, it struck me that I think. The first one I saw uh, here in Australia, you know, I think it was about three or four racks of infrastructure. And I remember in New Zealand seeing my very first telephone exchange, which is essentially a series of cables and rotating decadic dialers. And I remember seeing the exchange from Ericsson thinking, wow, it's not, it's not like a wall of cable, it's something inside these racks. And it, it struck me as being this quantum leap forward. And you know, I think we're going through that now where we don't even see the moving bits. It's all just software inside that. Well, I'd love mm. to maybe get some insight into kind of your role in general. I mean, it's a it's a very broad remit from what I understand, but when we think about head of architecture and technology inside Ericsson Digital Services, maybe just give us a, a quick uh, minute or two on what that role entails. What does what sort of a day in the life of uh, Anders Rosengren in, in, in actually involve?
0: So, so uh, of course, uh, digital services is uh, a, a business area uh, inside Ericsson, and we uh, develop uh, product and uh, service delivery for majority of the product inside Ericsson. So we are responsible for the cloud infrastructure, the full cloud platform, uh, all the core network nodes, uh, so packet core, communication services, user data management, all that parts, as well as the operation support system. So OSS, uh, orchestration, automation, as well as our business support systems. And uh, I'm then leading the architecture and technology for this very, very wide uh, area or portfolio and and uh, driving architecture evolution so for example uh, going uh, cloud native which is one of our key uh, key journeys uh, during the coming two two years is uh, led from the uh, chief architects the senior experts that i have in my team we're driving that across the complete portfolio orchestration automation is another area uh, where we also uh, devising how we should evolve that and uh, then uh, engaging with all the different product development units and uh, inside Ericsson or inside digital services and making that uh, that journey together. Of course, we also engage a lot with customers um, uh, getting input from them. I think we, we I mean, it's super important that we make this journey uh, through cloud native to 5G uh, to automation orchestration Jointly across the industry, so I spend a lot of time uh, talking to uh, customers, engaging on on all different levels, understanding their pain points and uh, what Ericsson can do uh, better, uh, what digital services can do better to support them in their business and, and in their transformation.
1: I imagine there's never a day where you wake up and you don't want to jump out of bed and go to work. It's probably one of the most exciting jobs ever. Uh... I've done some background on and uh, talking to you uh, in Barcelona the other day, it was like it was pretty obvious that there was a lot of passion, what you do every single day. Now, there's a couple of things I'd love to dive into because I know you've got some exciting stuff to talk about uh, that's just current in new as far as um, what you've been up to recently. Uh, I know you've just gotten back from um, an event in the USA, the Open Networking Summit. I'd love to get uh, some insight and highlights that sort of uh, came out of that event, particularly for you. I mean, obviously, Ericsson in general. But what were your key highlights from the US? Uh, uh, open Networking Summit event recently.
0: So yeah, I was I was there uh, beginning of April, uh, and Ericsson had a, a very uh, digital service has a very large presence. I mean, open source and and Open Networking Summit is is uh, uh, held by Linux Foundation and uh, Linux Foundation Networking uh, program inside there, and uh, open source is really important for Ericsson. And it's, of course, transformational for the telco industry overall. I find uh, ONS uh, a fantastic meeting place. You, you get to see all the latest in open source for networking, and it's focusing on networking. So you see the developers, uh, the vendors, uh, the uh, uh, but also the operators. And you see all the different scales. I mean, there are large vendors like Ericsson, but there are, I also met uh, people from startup business that are doing something small with open source, with networking, that are coming there to either present or to learn or to do both. So I think uh, super promising to see all the seminars, uh, all the presentations bubbling with new technology, and and everything uh, to do with open source and networking.
1: Well, open source so, permeates everything we're doing these days, doesn't it? I mean, you know. Uh, whether you've got a, uh, you know, it d- really doesn't matter what smartphone you've got. There is some open source in it somewhere. As far as uh, the operating system or the networking technology goes, uh, all the way through to the cars. I noticed that when I read the uh, the latest documentation on my Audi, that's a whole bunch of disclosure about open source used in there from the media player to the engine control system. But in the telco world, I mean, te- uh, Ericsson's been through a, a whole business digital transformation uh, recently shifting to sort of become a cloud uh, organization, consuming your own cloud platform, working on uh, stuff inside the Linux operating system and kernel, uh, massive amounts of work on the uh, OpenStack, uh, open source cloud mm. platform, uh, you know, engineering uh, OpenStack and uh, Nova and Heat to cope with sort of the five nines capability you need from Telco. I know you're doing a lot of work around Docker and Kubernetes. So... It's literally in your DNA, but this has been a necessary transformation, I guess, not so much just the open source piece, I mean, this is critical, but that whole transition sort of becoming a cloud organization, and in many ways, I think you became sort of your own first customer, really, because you had to build the infrastructure, design it, make it work, uh, support it, make it sustainable and scalable, and then consume it yourself, didn't you, when you sort of did the refactoring of your OSS and BSS tools in-house and other tools that you're using underneath all of that open source powering it?
0: Yeah, sure. I, I think we we talked about the uh, uh, transformation uh, uh, in the AC switch a long long time ago, and now we see uh, a similar type of or several of these transformations happening in parallel. And, and uh, as you say, cloudification and and moving into uh, the separation of the cloud platform and the applications. That's a really really big transformation, and would be. We've been at work with that together with the rest of the industry. uh, The uh, NFV uh, transformation overall, the network function virtualization transformation, as well as open source has been another transformation, both in a way of working and uh, how we source and bring in functionality. So, I mean, Ericsson is really, really engaged in open source. And as you can just bring one example, uh, we are a key contributor to the open network automation platform, ONAP. Uh, which is an open source project hosted by Linux Foundation in the networking domain that is targeting management and orchestration play, uh, space. So uh, uh, we see that as a very important project and it's transformational from uh, uh, also from an architecture perspective, creating a horizontalized platform for uh, our open uh, for our uh, operation support systems, our orchestration automation. And we are contributing significantly. I think that's also a learning that we've done over the years that you open source, we worked with standardization for ages. uh, And there you go in and and you work with specifications. Open source is basically built by boots on the ground, you need to be there, you need to develop. So we are contributing significantly to own up as uh, as it is a base for our orchestration, uh, Ericsson service orchestrator and our automation suites, etc. And uh, recently, last time I looked, we were actually number three in the overall uh, Git, uh, the commitment, the commits, uh, the uh, software contributions to ONAP. Wow. Um, yeah, and I, I think also we did a demo actually in uh, ONS uh, around uh, ONAP orchestration of end-to-end network slices that we developed together with AT&T and that we demoed in the Linux Foundation networking booths at ONS. So I think that shows this the collaborative environment as well as it shows how we work together uh, quickly creating new functionality in an open in an open manner and then adding value uh, as you know end-to-end network slicing is a very important concept in uh,
1: in 5g i guess and depending all this is a you know there's a consistent theme in that is that uh, historically, Ericsson has led the way in in the concept of openness in general, and now we're seeing that that with open source as a as a concept and and uh, you know open APIs, open connectivity. Uh, I remember being at the OSS user group in New York last year, and and there was something like sixty one uh, operators and telco partners and clients of uh, Ericsson's. and it struck me that um, even though there were sixty one companies under the same roof in New York uh, at the event uh, that were in theory competitors, as it were. Uh, they weren't really talking so much about competing as they were talking about co-opting. How are they going to interconnect their networks? How are they going to integrate each other's tools and systems? And you know, whether it's a handoff of a call or routing data or creating you know, network slice across multiple platforms. And it seems to me that you know, all the things you're talking about with the open network um, technologies that are being developed and built either in open source or, or designed inside your network, that this whole concept of openness... Is it an assumption that people aren't getting to connect into the networks if they're not being open, if they don't have open APIs, if they don't have uh, not so much an open source thing, but just this concept that they're going to interconnect? Is it fair to say that this is sort of a necessity in that it's entirely necessary to connect to each other's networks in an open way so you can route calls, you can move data, you can create software-defined infrastructure, uh, whether it's software-defined WANs or, or a voice call or a streaming call? Because that, without that openness, 5G it seems to me to be almost impossible.
0: No, I, I, I really, really agree. Uh, and uh, I mean, 5G creates a fantastic opportunity and uh, there are some really amazing new use cases. Uh, uh, of course, we will see uh, enhanced mobile broadband, so we'll see higher speeds, we will see lower cost. Uh, but beyond that, beyond uh, evolved mobile broadband, there is some fantastic uh, use cases built on low latency, ultra high reliability, edge compute and exposure and APIs, just as you talk about. But deploying and orchestrating these new use cases and functionality will increase the complexity in the network. And addressing these additional complexities will require increased capabilities in orchestration, in automation, in closed loop, as well as an openness, as you say. And here we see ONAP and open source as a fantastic tool to jointly address these needs across the industry drive uh, openness, so ONAP together with the standardization being done in SCNFV, uh, which is um, a standardization uh, uh, body uh, for network function virtualization, is really aiming for interoperability both now northbound from the uh, OS system as well as southbound towards the network functions, and, and that is really so important. So I think uh, absolutely APIs, openness, uh, uh, in uh, openness from a product perspective, where you can interact and uh, engage uh, across uh, a multi product, uh, multi vendor, multi operator domain with APIs, as well as openness in, in the development cycle, uh, which we get with the open source uh, to jointly solve uh, uh, key uh, technology and uh, operational problems. So I
1: want to come back to one question with regard to how this fits into the acceleration of the deployment of 5G in a second, but um, we've, we've talked about the concept of, of sort of cloud native and cloud uh, environments. Uh, we hear about the term cloud native a lot. What does it actually mean inside Ericsson? Uh, there's a number of definitions of all of these things, you know, when you talk about um, uh, cloud in, in sort of, you know, public form and hybrid form and private form, but, but underpinning all of that, we, we sort of hear this term cloud native with regard to systems and applications. When you talk about cloud native, and certainly inside Ericsson and, and your partners, what does what does a cloud native actually mean inside Ericsson?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, cloud native is—I mean—that's the uh, next step in the virtualization strategy. It's really about running in the best way possible uh, uh, in in a cloud. So uh, for us, we we have defined a set of design principles. We are we are basically transforming all of our applications into cloud native over the coming two three years uh, starting with our uh, dual mode 5g cloud core which will be all cloud native from uh, from day one but we in that transformation it's a big transformation for us we set a number of design principles so it's about uh, running in containers uh, uh, it's about uh, building on a service microservices based architecture so that helps us in in, uh, creating uh, speed and flexibility. Uh, But it's also based on agnosticity. So basically you can run our applications on any uh, Kubernetes-based cloud platform. Uh, It's about decomposing the software into the right set of microservices. And and, uh, the size of those microservices, the number of those microservices are defined by the the functionality in the node. It's about Uh, building the right type of resiliency or redundancy functions into the applications, pushing some of the uh, redundancy functions, resilience functions into the cloud platform, relying on the capabilities of container orchestration to restart your containers when necessary. Um, It's also about orchestration and automation, as well as state optimized designs. So We are basically defining those principles and we are putting them in place and and developing our application. According to that, we also have our our internal application development framework for for our cloud native applications that uh, uh, builds together a complete system, uh, development system, as well as a set of generic services that we use in all our applications uh, as a base for our development.
1: The thing that strikes me with all of this is that um, whether it's in a, you know, in my case, you know, I develop on a laptop and and I have a hypervisor that I deploy instances on there, and when I launch something, uh, it essentially comes from a build process that's orchestrated, uh, whether I use one of the open source tools or whether I use a proprietary one, the environment, builds the container, puts it into the queue, Kubernetes notices that there's a new release, it deploys it, I put a browser out there, I create a Uh, an API request on it, instantiates the new environment, it just magically happens. Um, Mm. And all of that sort of, you know, I think in many ways that gives me two things, because I I see this being a big challenge in the telco and the operator space, and that is they want to build new functionality and new capability to meet consumer demand with new services, but they also want to stay current with the latest, greatest design principles and, and models, as you spoke about at the other end spectrum so that they can and, you know, implement, I guess, continuous improvement and continuous development so they don't end up with a piece of code running for 18 to 12 months or whatever it might be and get out of date. But it also seems to me that underpinning all this, this orchestration automation you're talking about means that once new functionality is built and new code's built and deployed and tested in the lab and uh, it's been all through the whole you know quality QA process to get to the point where it's actually live and inside a Kubernetes cluster and, and st- instantiated on demand, that uh, consumers themselves can almost build services from it because you've got all the constituent parts and then I can decide whether I want uh, you know, a software-defined WAN service and I can just reach out through some sort of dashboard or tool and consume that. And the yeah. network automatically builds itself. And then when I'm finished, it tears itself down. And this, to me, seems not only awesome exciting but it all seems necessary because you can't have people running around plugging and unplugging sort of rj11s and rj45s to instantiate wide array networks anymore (laughs) um and and when we've got things like millions if not billions of internet of things and sensors on the network i mean these things are up and down in microseconds moving tiny little packets over mqtt this seems to be an absolute necessity that carriers and operators are going to have to go to this as opposed to maybe hold back and think that they're going to do it by hand is that fair to say
0: no, absolutely. And I think um, we are going into Cloud Native uh, because of the uh, the need to have the right speed to be able to scale in and scale out uh, quickly, depending on the services, uh, to have the operational flexibility uh, and adoption, as you say. So absolutely, I think Cloud Native is a super important part of underpinning uh, the 5G and the flexibility that that requires. I think we also We did, uh, I had a keynote at at the Open Networking Summit, uh, which we fully dedicated to cloud native and open source. And we actually did a a demo on stage. They brought one of my experts on stage. And and he did a demo of how we upgrade our, part of our core network, the mobility management entity running in Kubernetes. So we dedicated five minutes to the the demo. And uh, during that time, we actually upgraded uh, uh, the me, the mobility management entity in our core network uh, running in containers on uh, Kubernetes. And I think uh, it really shows the speed uh, that we can get with uh, cloud native. That was uh, not even possible with VMs or, I mean, out, not even possible to think about uh, when you go to native nodes. of course. So um, it's a fantastic tool necessity. And, and here we're also building an open source. So I think coming back, I talked about orchestration automation. Uh, underpinned by ONAP. And, and for uh, Cloud Native, we see CNCF as the key part there. And uh, we're working very close with uh, the Cloud Native Compute Foundation and uh, Dan Cones, uh, who's heading up that uh, to see how we can... That the, the, Cloud Native, the Kubernetes was born in the IT industry. So there are some things that we need to work on together with the uh, uh, Cloud Native uh, Compute Foundation. Uh, to get it really, really op- working for telco. And right. we do want to do that we want to do that in the community. We don't want to take Kubernetes and optimize it, because then we lose all the speed and the scale that you get out of open source. So we want to work in the community, working upstream to make CNCF and, and Kubernetes even better for our uh, telco workload. So we are uh, going to KubeCon in Europe in Barcelona in a few weeks to uh, sit down even with the with the uh, all of the community there to discuss how we can do that
1: Fantastic doing a live uh, demo on stage if anything's brave, but doing <laughs> doing a CI/CD uh, deploy of, of a small change in five minutes is uh, outlandishly exciting now I see this huge challenge coming at us and we're deploying you know The transition from 3 to 4G was a, ch- a heady challenge in its own right um, but the the deployment and and role at a 5G just seems to be a, a far greater challenge for a whole range of reasons. The digital transformation required inside organizations at the operator and carrier level, the massive transformation that's going to be done across the, the carrier infrastructure, the interconnectivity. Um, and a whole range of device, diverse services that go from the, the B2C consumers with their handsets to the, the B2B services with you know fixed wireless access and software-defined WANs. And at the other end of the spectrum, manufacturing, engineering, transport, logistics, aviation, etc., that want sensors and IoT. Um, what's happening with the acceleration of 5G? I mean, open source and, and the orchestration you're talking about, sure, it must be making a lot of this acceleration possible because there seems to be this massive rush to get 5G out to leverage the strengths with it, but i just I, I often hear people concerned that they don 't know how they 're going to adopt this at the level of speed and pace and acceleration that that the consumers want it um, when we think about open source and cloud native everything i mean how crucial is this to getting the acceleration and deployment of 5 g it, it seems to me that it 's a no brainer but uh, I imagine you're having conversations with people now saying, help us get to become cloud native with all of our stuff, refactoring, our code, whatever. Help us des- change our design uh, uh, models and principles, because there's no way we can drive the acceleration of the 5G deployment otherwise.
0: No, but I agree. And I think you're touching on something really, really important, because uh, uh, when we started the whole cloud native journey, it was all about the, uh, the core network functions, like packet core, and getting that cloud native. But but we quickly realize that it's not just an uh, applications of course you also need to get your cloud platform right you need to have kubernetes in there you need a container orchestration environment in your cloud platform to be able to run your cloud native applications and on top of that you also need to address your orchestration and automation tool suite to support cloud native applications and to connect to uh, kubernetes and the uh, container orchestration and so so you definitely need to address your complete technology stack but then not that is not even enough because i mean the whole thing about getting speed uh, into uh, as you talk about getting new services launched both in a b2c but even more in a b2b2c perspective you need to have a different way of deploying software so you need to look at your whole way of working your whole processes your whole organization as an operator when you're moving into cloud native one, one example, a very critical example, is the uh, uh, software delivery pipeline and uh, continuous integration, continuous deployment. So when we are developing cloud-native applications, we, inside Ericsson, we have a continuous uh, integration, continuous delivery and deployment chain working. So uh, we are pushing the new services all the way through the, our development and testing organization. But to really get speed, you need to connect uh, the... Um, Uh, you need to connect that software delivery pipeline all the way to the operator to really get the benefits i mean today we have operators updating their network maybe once a year or every six months but that doesn't give you the speed uh, and the scale in developing or deploying new functionality so we are working with a few operators today where we deploy new software every third week into their network into their live operational network that is the thing that you need to do to do that you really need to really integrate from your vendor into your network uh, through your automated onboarding, automated testing, all the way into your running network as an operator. Otherwise, you will never be able to do that. So, I think the whole cloud native transformation is, of course, around technology and products, but even more maybe around processes, where you're working, and getting your, your organization and the way you run your, your, uh, your work uh, geared up for cloud native.
1: It seems it's an interesting challenge and the blend between, I guess, the technology side of things, which is probably more so your world uh, as as far as the architecture and design goes and development open source. But the other end of the spectrum is the business systems and the business tools and the business processes that the organizations, have, how, as you said, how they operate, how they run and how they respond to consumer demand. With that in mind, I mean, what are, what are some of the things that you're seeing out there now as far as the challenges that these carriers and telcos and operators are facing I'd love to get some thoughts and advice that you might be uh, able to share um, when you sit and talk to whether it's the technical part of the business or the the, the uh, corporate uh, consumer-facing side of the business uh, as op- as far as operational goes. I mean, there's the obvious technical challenge of uh, digital transformation, getting their head around continuous improvement, continuous development, agile, software development, refactoring, moving to cloud, you know, becoming cloud native, as it were. But there must be some business challenges that they face that you're coming across that I'd love to get some insights on. That when they sit with you and go, "Well, we've got to turn our whole organisation uh, around to to be able to cope with this as well." What are some of the challenges you're seeing them uh, face with that blend between the technology transformation and the business transformation?
0: So, so I think you uh, you touch on two two major things here, uh, Des, and, and I. I that we are also. So first, it's it's about the transformation of your organization. And we have a lot of discussions and, and uh, workshops around organizational transformation when it comes to uh, uh, going cloud, going cloud native. And I, I touched on some of those points. So absolutely, that is a discussion we often have. And it's a journey from an organizational perspective inside going from you know you cannot you need to really have an organization that is responsible for your cloud platform, whether you're running cloud uh, cloud core network applications or oss on that you need to really have an organization that is responsible for that that's a an another organization that's responsible for the for so uh, for the core network functions so a division of responsibility and and setting that up and <clears throat> then it's also around processes and and speed and how you do. Uh, onboarding, how you do testing of your applications. Uh, so that is a big journey. It's not an easy, easy journey, uh, and it involves changing also mindsets and and how you measure things and and KPIs inside the organization. So it's it's a big change, and and we are working on it as a vendor, and <clears throat> we're also discussing it and and working with our customers, the operators, on these type of transformations. Then you're touching on another very, very interesting. And I think that's um, more than maybe we can cover in, uh, in uh, today, but it's uh, how do you open up, you talked about API's, how do you open up API's from your network for third party applications that can really, how can they access the network? How can they, if we now put this fantastic 5G in place with, with low latency, ultra reliable, with edge cloud, with network slices, how as a third party application, utilize that, because you need to build your industry applications, you need to build your wide area gaming application or or uh, preventive maintenance applications for your uh, as a car manufacturer, you need to access and interact with the network over a set of API's that you can understand as an application developer. I think that is uh, also a big transformation for for us as a vendor. As well as the customers to open up those APIs and make those common across a, a set of operators as well, so that you can and accessible in an easy way. So there is a there's a whole set of of questions and discussions and, and transformations in that space as well.
1: Then it is in fact that we could do a whole podcast just on that. Uh, I had a similar experience when I uh, had uh, one of your associates, uh, Gareth Price, is the uh, practice head for uh, core cloud security consulting uh, um. Mm. with Ericsson uh, on the show recently and uh, each one of these topics we talked about was like we could almost do a whole day talking on each of the, the big challenges but the thing that strikes me from what you just said there was that you've got this blend of kind of the the closed loop component that we hear a lot about um, not just from Ericsson but particularly from Ericsson with regard to the whole end-to-end story so you, you're at mm. the very front end designing and, and developing architecture implementing open source technologies integrating them creating these open APIs, etc deploying them transforming the way in which you deploy and run and operate and support these. And I know you know some great conversations with Fernanda Mendes around some of the work that uh, she's doing now, heading up Cenex uh, with the mm. uh, the network layer of things and just the uh, assurance component of looking for issues and self-healing uh, capability network, all the way to the business side of things. It, it seems that the whole team and Ericsson's touching every part of the organization, which I think must provide a great deal of assurance to the clients, uh, I remember talking to uh, Mats Carlson, who used to, I think, you know, heading up R&D and, and so forth at the time about a year or so ago mm. uh, in Schuster. Yeah. And he said one of the biggest challenges for Ericsson themselves was that they were having to walk through the process of the clients to understand that things that they might do in eight years uh, started to become eight months when you went to virtualization that are down to now eight minutes when you go cloud model. And once mm. it now goes to microservices, it could be eight seconds, you know, and mm. even just the business understanding that concept to how do you price up a service that only rates runs for eight seconds is an interesting conversation to be had. What are the, um, you know, when, when organizations get to this point, I mean, I'm really keen to sort of think about some of the cloud, the, the cloud case studies you're seeing that are enabling the next big move forward. Because when these organizations talk to you about this digital transformation they've got to go through. Uh, adopting uh, cloud design principles and 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 orchestrating or automating a lot of what they might have done by hand and manually before doing it in shorter periods of time. What are some of the the the, the I guess both use cases and case studies you're coming across, where operators are saying, "Well, this is a place we could leverage this in the short to medium term immediately to get a business benefit." Are there any that really jump out now that you've been working on where, when you look at how organisations you're working with go through this this whole process? Are there any case studies you can sort of talk about where they have made the move to becoming cloud native themselves they've gone through the digital transformation and they've had some great uh, great findings and learnings from this. I know there's a lot of secrets out that we can't share, but are there any sort of case studies that you you're able to share sort of
0: publicly um Maybe I cannot go into case studies but i i I think i mean I think the we see the beginning of five g and it's opened up some fantastic opportunities uh but really to live up to these expectations, uh, there is a need to improve speed. You talked about going from eight months to eight days to minutes, seconds. So to improve TTM or time to market for new use cases, uh, as well as addressing the complexity. So I don't think there is, uh, there is no 5G without really going cloud native and without improving end-to-end orchestration and closed loop. You talked about our scenic acquisition and how that adds the uh, closed loop, the assurance part. Of, of that, uh, couple that together with our orchestrator to really do an end to end network slice, I think, as a use case, you can talk about what we did with uh, Swisscom, for example, where we we see now that uh, we can orchestrate an end to end network slice. And in this case, it was uh, together with uh, a train operator. Uh, and uh, they wanted to run different set of Uh, capacity, uh, different links into a train uh, over 5G and to orchestrate that network slice. And and some of it was more for for maintenance, others were for video download, uh, some of it was for uh, critical communication. So you will see these network slices will have different uh, requirements, different SLAs, different KPIs, and you need to spin up those those network sizes uh, rapidly uh, tear, them, spin them up, tear them down. You need to monitor the SLA. So, to the same train, you might have three or four different network slices uh, for different type of communication. Maybe one is just to provide the uh, connectivity for the Wi-Fi on the train, uh, while others is to uh, uh, run preventive maintenance. Then, then you have a much lower uh, need for the for bandwidth um, and latency. Others might be critical communication between the train and the uh, surrounding control structure on, on the tracks. And there, of course, you really need low latency and, and high reliability. So that's just that's one example that we do. We also engage uh, uh, with enterprises with factories to see how we can fit 5G with that capability into uh, the operations floor, the, the, uh, of uh, the production floor of those enterprises or industries. Uh, connecting robots over over uh, manufacturing uh, equipment over over 5g or, or automated automo- automated vehicles over over 5g. And, and so we'll see a lot of these use cases coming alive uh, over the coming uh, 12 to 18 months, actually. I
1: believe. Yeah. It seems to me that I mean it's a no-brainer that consumers are going to you know get excited about the higher speeds of five G. Although there's only so many movies you can download and so many songs you can listen to at the same time, um, but it seems to me that a lot of this big industry, a lot of the sort of industry four if you like, uh, space when when you're talking about trains and you know a big fan of trains was involved in some of the design of light rail here in Australia and. It always fascinated me that the average uh, train in a suburban area is really only doing about 50 kilometres an hour from point to point with stations. They just they move mm. continuously. And when you think about that, that's the average speed of a, of a car in the street. But there's a big difference between someone placing a call from cell to cell in, in a car where if they drop out the call, they can redial. But if you're streaming mm. control systems on a train... And that control system's got to tell it to stop at station number four. You, you can't have a dropout. It seems to me that some of these big industry, big infrastructure um, spaces are going to be the really big winners in the short to medium term. Because uh, for me personally, anyone, I mean, I, I I only watch one movie at a time my handset. I don't really need ten movies downloading at the same time. So the speed's great, the load latency's great. Mm. But you know, I, I think we've kind of a lot of that is just going to be a nicety. Um, I do like the idea of getting rid of Wi-Fi and being able to do indoor, outdoor, sort of, you know, um, 5G eventually so I don't have to do a Wi-Fi to wireless handoff. Hand um, but I like what you've just talked about there with regard to some of the example case studies. And I'm sure there's a, a whole day of conversation there because it does kind of um, lend me to thinking that big industry, robotics, manufacturing, engineering, you know, automotive are going to be big winners in the short to medium term, where if they can adopt this, that we we can make these factories smarter and and more uh, cost effective to run. Um, one of the things I'd love to do uh, before we wrap up, though, is uh, I often hand my guests a virtual crystal ball, and you are talking about sort of what's coming up in the next twelve to eighteen months. Um, and as if I was about to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment. Um, where do you see all this uh, taking us uh, over the next uh, year to year and a half? What's over the horizon the next 12 uh, to 18 months uh, in your world, in this whole space that you're working in? Mm.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, if we look at it from, from an Ericsson and uh, Telco industry perspective, uh, we will have our dual mode 5G cloud core uh, fully operated, uh, running in production in, on Kubernetes in major operators across the globe. It will be orchestrated and end-to-end by our Ericsson orchestrators. So we already have more than 18 commercial contracts, actually, most in the industry. Uh, And uh, uh, we will see this uh, being deployed live in production during the year. And if you look at like 12, 18 months to the end of 2020, this will be uh, a global phenomenon where we see 5G uh, being rolled out. I mean, it's already uh, in production in certain certain geographies, but we'll see uh, a major wave of increased uh, rollout there during the coming 12 to 18 months. But then uh, as I I said, I think we will also really move from uh, PowerPoints to uh, implementation of a different uh, interaction when it between vendors and and operators when it comes to the software delivery pipeline, really move into uh, where we have much more of, of uh, automated delivery automated uh, acceptance tested automated onboarding of the functionality, all that that is needed to get to the speed and the scale that those industries will uh, will expect so that's my uh that's when I look into the coming twelve to eighteen months and um, the conversations and activities that we will have with our major customers.
1: It's going to be an exciting time. I um, I have this mental image that uh, what we used to have uh, this concept of you know one phone company might interconnect with another phone company to hand off a voice call, and then we managed to do it with a, a data element moving a short messaging system with text, and then we started doing it with images, and now we can do it with video mm. handoff. It seems to me in many ways that uh, there's a whole new space uh, which I'm I'm keen to get your thoughts on before we wrap up. And that is that uh, you talked about a lot of startups at the ONS event uh, doing great things in networking. Um, Are we likely to see an entire tier, a new tier of uh, service operators where there are organizations building apps that can move from one carrier network to another as a microservice? So I might dial into carrier one and instantiate something. It might be uh, an interactive thing, it might be augmented reality, it might be virtual reality, it could be, a, you know, anything. Um, is there going to be a point where I could potentially build an app that sits in one space and then if my service moves, it's going to end up in another carrier and that service moves between carriers irrespective of whose routers and switches and storage and disk space and so forth, it's running on? Does, is that something that you think is even remotely going to happen, that that service provision can move across at API level from one platform to another with that end-to-end openness that you've been designing and developing?
0: I think it's an absolutely must. I think we we have a, a way to go in the industry to uh, to enable that type of uh, uh, federation uh, across uh, multi-operators for from an application developer perspective. But I think it's an absolute must that uh, if you're developing a global application, for example, uh, preventing car man- maintenance or, or download of data from a specific car, or if you, uh, I mean, like four or five uh, years into the future, we had a consumer lab report coming out of Ericsson just the other week that talks about that AR glasses will be our uh, new uh, companion also in the private life, Uh, continue to support us uh, in our, the way we do with smartphones today. But in order to enable that, and in order to enable those applications and the latency that's needed for that, uh, you need to be able to move your applications across Uh, uh, as you say, across the different edge instantiations. And that will will require that you're also able to move them between operators. Uh, We are not there today, but I think it's a critical, uh, actually, call to action towards the operator community to start thinking about how can they facilitate a global application developer community uh, utilizing their 5G infrastructure, their 5G, uh, their edge infrastructure, Uh, in in the way that you describe.
1: Interesting. Well, I know we've got a couple of uh, proven cases um, where this works. I mean, you know, uh, our new Audi Q5 um, has a a SIM built in and it just automatically finds the nearest telco operator Mm. and gets on the network and downloads maps Mm. and updates and and alerts. I know that uh, the Amazon eBook uses a thing called WhisperNet, and again, it doesn't really care which carrier, just finds the nearest place and connects and downloads books. So I've got every confidence that the telco space can do that, but I think you're absolutely right that there's a bit of work to be done there because there's a lot of transformation as it were either digital transformation of the technology or commercial transformation at the business end as you said well Anders, it's been great to chat with you uh and it's been fantastic having you on the show for the first time it was awesome to see you in marcelone the other day and thank you so much for making so much time available to jump on camera with me uh we will definitely have you back on the show because i've made about three pages of notes of other topics i want to talk about but i know that we're uh, coming up in the hour in your time and you've got a busy day ahead of you because you uh mentioned before that uh, your day started at seven o'clock this morning and you've already had a first couple of coffees from what i understand
0: Yeah, so I'm all geared up for the rest of the day. Thank you very much, Tessa. It's a a pleasure talking with you, and I think you um, get me talking about a lot of things, so I I really appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for making time. It's been great having your show. Now, folks, if you're tuning in, uh, if you would like to learn more about the whole topic of cloud native and what it means uh, in the world of Ericsson, jump on your favorite search engine on the internet and just search for Ericsson Digital, uh, and on their website, there's a whole plethora of information, different portals around the cloud offerings and cloud services, and particularly in the topic of cloud native and uh, you know truckloads are reading there, so jump online and then engage with the team from uh, Ericsson Digital Services on their uh, Twitter and LinkedIn uh, accounts and handles, and just post your questions. And I know Anders and the team will be able to respond uh, if and when something comes up. Anders, thanks again. It's been great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.